0: Speaking of witches, they're actually a... I'm assuming there's a collection of Luther's own table talks.
1: The Tischreden are included in the Weimar Ausgabe, mm-hmm. the, the complete collection. I I don't know if there's a complete translation of them into English. I know some of them have been translated into English. Yeah. I mean, of course, the thing is about Tischladen is that they're not ultimately reliable. Mm-hmm this is obviously more reliable than his would have been because his would have been third party yeah he said it the student or someone else maybe wrote it down and then maybe that student published it or maybe it was another person who heard it from the student who then wrote it down yeah so you get some some crazy stuff and also <laughs> you know it's it's dinner speeches so people don't always say exactly what they believe. They may say something crazy or hyperbolic. or
0: Yeah, the life of the seminarian back then, being able to just have a beer and dinner with Luther would be pretty nerdy.
1: <laughs> it would be. Just hope you don't have to pay for it by dying like Robert Barnes did.
0: So what's that story?
1: Robert Barnes was one of the first martyrs of the Reformation, specifically Lutheran. He was a member basically of the court in England. And the king was initially somewhat sympathetic to Lutheranism, but then advisors and political winds shifted. Yeah. He was no longer. But first, Robert Barnes was banished from England for essentially teaching roughly Reformation doctrine. He lived in Germany for a while. He met Luther. Yeah. He actually lived at Luther's house for a while, or at least was a frequent house guest. He moved back to England because things changed. It looked like they were going to be more favorable to Lutheranism, or at least to Reformation doctrine. And then the king killed him.
0: So in England, they never really got Luther's writings, or at least the later. They got uh, some specific. Did they ever get the Augsburg Confession?
1: Oh, yeah, they had that. i mean luther one of the most recent volumes one of the additional volumes produced in the american edition by cph is luther's response to henry his book that he didn't write but on which he affixed his name defending great irony of ironies defending the roman church despite the fact that he would break away from the roman church and he was called a defender of the faith for that and luther wrote a response to that, quite a a biting response. It's fun to read. Typical Luther fashion.
0: Yeah, I mean, since they have uh, pretty much all of Luther's volumes here at our church, I'm probably going to be reading through those at some point. I've actually not read a single work by Luther that's not in the uh, Book of Concord
1: yet. Well, almost any of his books are worth reading. They're all at least entertaining, usually also edifying. His Genesis commentary is always good. It's the first eight volumes of the American edition.
0: Now, wasn't he rather, like, despairing about his own work? Like, definitely, I mean, not despairing, self-deprecating.
1: At the end of his life, he basically said that very little of his work was worth preserving. He liked the bondage of the will. I'm sure he would have preserved his catechisms. Yeah. But... He just didn't esteem his own work particularly highly. Yeah. He was humble. So.
0: Yeah, definitely something that's missing because nowadays we have a problem of pastors who really think that their theological opinions are just golden. And they'll get on Twitter and have very, very, very bad takes. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I'm in the camp of most sensible people who would say pastors should just stay off social media. And Our pastor does. Yeah, so he he's, you know, definitely commendable.
1: Well, it's, many pastors have been misled to think that pastor also entails theologian, and pastor and theologian are part of a Venn diagram that barely touches.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing in the art world as well, because you'll have, like, all these writers who, like, all of a sudden, they believe the clear authorities on like every topic they decide to nerd out about, and it's just simply not the case.
1: What you mean? I'm not an expert on biology and genetics because I read a Michael Crichton book once.
0: <laughs> now, Michael uh, Crichton probably was an expert. He, he, he actually, actually
1: was. Him. Yes, he was. The people who read him are not necessarily so. Yeah.
0: Speaking of Michael Crott, did you ever listen to that, or not listen to uh, read that last book that he had published? Uh or published uh, post and every sort of word, after his death. Post mortem. Yeah. Or post hominous, whatever. Posthumous. Yeah.
1: Um, the uh was It was about pirates. I didn't even know he had written a book about pirates, so no. It's pretty bad. That seems a little outside his usual subject matter.
0: Oh, it was, and it was also basically unreadable. Yes.
1: You're supposed to do what science fiction authors do. Plan your grand universe, write, you know, four of the forty novels you've published or plan to publish, and then promptly die. <laughs> That's what Frank Herbert did. Although his son and um I believe it was I think his last name's Anderson, worked together to publish the prequels that Herbert had actually sketched out. Yeah. They're they're good. They're not high science fiction. They're an enjoyable read. So, you know, read it in an evening sort of book, not think about it for very long. Yeah.
0: Still need to get around to reading Dune.
1: You need to at least read the first three in the core six, and preferably the core six. If you like the universe, then read the prequels.
0: Yeah. I've talked about this on A uh, Quiet Place, too. For some reason, in my own writing and in my own reading habits, I just really prefer realistic fictions. Like, I don't know what it is. I like I, I can enjoy science fiction and fantasy, but I'm never just, like, drawn to those topics. Like,
1: Well, maybe science fiction is realistic, it's just we a thousand years too early.
0: That's
1: true. Except for the turning into a giant worm part, that is probably not going to happen. never know. I guess if transhumanists like Elon Musk keep getting their way, then maybe, yes, there will be giant worm people.
0: To be honest, Lutherans need to pick up the pace on writing about that type of thing. Because literally all the crazy evangelicals are the ones like, What's his name? Trent Horn, or not Trent Horn? It's the Catholic dude. I believe it's Thomas Horn. Literally, just writing giant six hundred page books on transhumanism and (laughs) tying it back into like every conspiracy about the Vatican, like imaginable. Of course, from Gnostic Jesuits to. And the thing is, it's probably all true. But I mean,
1: there's plenty of evil when it comes to the Vatican. When it comes to Rome, you don't really have to make stuff up. You just have to show what they're doing and what they've done. I mean, the Jesuits are a pervasively evil organization. They were started in order to attempt to crush the Reformation. Yeah. Their genesis was evil. And any organization like that, when, you know, they have the false celibacy, as the Book of Concord essentially calls it, and then refuses to elaborate because it's so disgraceful and disgusting what they do behind closed doors.
0: Yeah. See, that's actually one thing I really admire about reading older stuff like that. I mean, we all know that they were talking about, you know, pedophilia and that type of thing.
1: Oh yeah, they were pedoras. That's a long-standing problem in Rome. We have uh was it Peter Damien, his book of Gomorrah that talks about the issues of sexual sin in the Roman church. Uh-huh. You know, that's where the the famous quote, what is it, um uh, why do you damnable sodomites pursue the heights of ecclesiastical authority with such vigor? <laughs> it's, it's not a new issue. But it's because you have people who think that, you know, celibacy is some sort of more holy life, that you're more godlike or Christlike if you're celibate. Yeah,
0: well, there is one and thing you're not, I want. That's well, not
1: what scripture says.
0: It's not, but there's another thing that I think could be added to it because like okay, for instance michael heiser and yeah. and i know everyone who would be listening to this probably despises him but well he's a little nuts he is but he put uh, forth an opinion that i really did not like about the the only reason like emissions and that type of thing and the uh, the law would be because it does something that makes you not whole I do believe that there could, or and not just emissions, but uh, even having sex with your wife, you know, you have to do whatever it took to get ceremonially clean again. It does seem like there could be something in that to where our sexuality is like so damaged post-fall that there is a prudish aspect to it.
1: There may be some of that, but it's, it's more just ceremonial cleanliness. And sexual contact with women in the ceremonial law was considered polluting.
0: So why would it
1: be? Ceremonially. Yeah. Ceremonially and morally are two different things. Yeah. Christ makes that very clear. The Pharisees are all basically OCD, crazy when it comes to washing their hands and the utensils and the bowls and all of that. Yeah. But Christ points out that, you know, that's not what makes you clean. That makes you externally clean in a ceremonial way. It's it's not actually clean in an interior spiritual way that actually matters. Yeah. These are two separate considerations. And so it was fine for the disciples to wash with unwa or to eat with unwashed hands. Maybe a little gross given the time, but yeah. It's not spiritually polluting. It's just hygienically unwise, perhaps, in an era when everything is covered in dust and uh, goat feces.
0: It is true. I guess if we're going to talk about topics today, you want to talk about (laughs) KOWO? Because that's sort of like pretty much every time that we've come here, that's been like my main topic, getting away from the KOWO and wells. Yeah, I mean,
1: it came up today in the Bible study. Yeah, You have the the issue of enthusiasm, (laughs) which is what? contemporary worship is contemporary worship is an attempt to appeal to emotionality and i want to feel the spirit moving sort of stuff instead of how does god want to be worshiped how do you worship god in a reasonable orderly fashion because look at his worship in the old testament old testament worship was liturgical yeah we are continuing that in the new testament
0: yeah and i mean even in heaven and we're giving glimpses of heaven. Like in Revelation, it's liturgical. That's kind of my talking point. All these people are like, oh, you need to worship in spirit and not have any art in churches and no fancy stuff. Are they just not reading Revelation?
1: That would be new. Honestly, I would. um, Uh Honestly, I would prefer a lot of the people who love contemporary worship not read Revelation because they get crazy doctrinal and theological ideas from it. But they couldn't
0: prove their worship
1: no they, there's nowhere to prove that the one that i constantly get from certain people with whom i discuss this topic is they will point out that david danced before the lord and so whatever we want to do in church is obviously fine because david danced and played the tambourine and it's you have to think about it okay he danced before the ark of the covenant when it was being transported but he, it doesn't say that he was dancing before the Lord in the temple. Temple worship was very regimented. There was a certain, there was an order to it. There was a hierarchy. Things were conducted in a reasonable, orderly fashion. If you want to listen to contemporary Christian music outside of church, go ahead. Have fun. Not, not my cup of tea. I won't be joining you. But if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to bring a guitar and a drum kit into church, I'm going to chase you with a stick. It's just, there's a time and a place for things, and certain things do not belong in the divine service. And guitar and drums and screens are certainly on the list of things that do not belong.
0: The thing is, it's just really disgusting when people want to change that, because the impetus from it is how we were doing it was wrong, we shouldn't be showing reverence, we should be getting... um, worked up the same way you do at a rock concert, and as a lot of people in our spirit have sort of talked about, a lot of that kind of, like, emotional manipulation has been used traditionally in paganism. I mean, there's a reason pagans beat on uh, African tribal drums. Yeah. does it have anything to do with God. Not that those things are, like, evil in and of themselves in some kind of agnostic way, but
1: No, obviously, drums are not per se. They're not ontologically evil. You're allowed to listen to music that includes drums. That's totally fine. But But they don't have a place in church.
0: Yeah, and wanting to use them to enhance worship.
1: Well, just there's an arrogance there. They think that they know how to do things better than the church has been doing things for thousands of years. And there's also, if you argue with these people, if you talk to them about contemporary worship versus liturgical worship, which is to say whatever the heck contemporary worship actually is versus actual worship, if you talk to them, they will constantly use first-person pronouns. I've actually done this when engaging with them. I've sat there, and as list- as I'm listening to them, I've mentally counted how many times they used a first-person pronoun. They get really mad when you tell them how many times they did it, but they get mad because it proves the point. It's all Well, I don't like, well, I feel, well, I want, well, I prefer, well, I, it's always I, 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 Yeah. and it's this solipsistic focus on self instead of a focus on God and why you are actually in the divine service. Part of it is that American evangelicals so-called, I hate they've stolen the term, but they have, American evangelicals so-called exactly reverse what is supposed to be happening, what is actually happening in a true divine service. Because what is happening in a true divine service? God is coming to you with his gifts. He comes to you with his word. He comes to you with his sacrament. He comes to you with forgiveness of sins. He comes to you with new life, comes to you in baptism, assuming you were properly baptized at a church. But God is coming to you. You respond to God with worship and praise. American evangelicals and many others, believe that they are coming to God with worship and praise, and then uh, something happens. A lot of them don't even think that God is doing anything. God, God is just there. God exists, they come to praise Him. Well, and that's not uh, what it is. You yeah. get it exactly backward. Yeah, I mean, a person that uh,
0: I know who went to a very like highly contemporary church literally said to me that, well, we need to do music like this because you know, you need to actually feel something because what if the Holy Spirit isn't there? And I'm just thinking, this is like very close to blasphemy and it's...
1: Uh, God promises to be present in his church. So... Because you you have
0: a drum kit, doesn't it? If
1: you think that that, uh, God is not going to be there, I have some really bad news for you because Christ says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So if you think that in your entire church there aren't at least two Christians, maybe you're at the wrong church. Yeah, well,
0: let's let's really talk about the negative aspect of coo because, you know, we can get into the weeds about why we like liturgical service. Let's talk about why they're wrong
1: and what... Uh... Well, it's not a matter of what we like, though. Yeah, it's not... It's, ma- it's a matter of what is proper worship. And one point I will always bring up, and I have never yet had a satisfactory response from someone who advocates for contemporary worship. This is a difficult thing for particularly Americans to understand. If you were having an audience with the king, would you wear flip-flops, board shorts, a Hawaiian shirt, and appear with a guitar? No. The answer is no, of course. I mean, a a king would probably be well within his rights to kill you for doing that. But I mean, isn't there you, even a
0: parable about this? I mean, yeah, I know it's not directly about. Oh, no, that.
1: there there is. There's the wedding garment issue. Yeah. But you wouldn't appear before an earthly king like that because it would be an insult to the king. That's yeah. what you're, you're insulting the king when you appear like that. Yeah. And so the king is right to respond to that insult. And yet so many people think that it's completely fine to appear that way before God because that's what you're doing. But again, it comes back to American evangelicals and others don't really believe that God is present in their churches. Obviously. If they believed he was present, they would act a certain way. They don't act that way. They don't They don't dress that way. They don't behave that way. They don't do any of the things that would indicate they actually believe God is present.
0: Yeah. And uh, um, the other aspect of it is that contemporary worship completely denigrates the law and gospel because We should be in some way intimidated. Not necessarily intimidated, but we're seeing... Well, you fear the Lord. Yeah, you fear the Lord, and when you walk into the church, there's actually beauty, reverence, like it comes out in the service. If we want to make the service comfortable and casual, we're just saying we're showing up here, but there's no real reason. Like, God is not more here than there. Like
1: I just hate that type of mindset. That's, That's one of the things for which I will not condemn the Eastern Orthodox Orthodoxy folks and the roman catholics again catholic folks. i will not condemn them for their focus on aesthetics i will condemn them when they make aesthetics a substitute for right doctrine and right theology because they yeah. do that yeah particularly converts to eastern orthodoxy so-called in the west because they do it purely aesthetic and psychological reasons but that's a it's another issue but i won't condemn them for the focus on aesthetics because beauty is a transcendental. Yeah, beauty, goodness, and truth. Beauty is important, and you need to have that in your churches. And you don't have that in most American churches because most of them meet in a, a strip mall or a, even if they built their own building, it's usually just a cavernous box that has no real decoration or beauty on, in the interior. Because a lot of times they have somewhat of a reformed pedigree. Yeah, and, and the thing and is, the that's... reforms, the reform basically hate beauty. Yeah,
0: and thing is that kind of. I mean, my experience in Wells, that kind of seeps into that very, very plain, barren, ugly churches. And the thing is, like, I would be wanting actual beauty and an actual, you know, good liturgy. But then you'll get this almost like Gnostic attitude where it's like, oh, well, why would you chase that when here, you know, you can actually get the truth? And I'm like, you can get the truth, the truth and beauty, like actual physical beauty. They go together. They, they right. go together 100% and the the
1: need to like tear them apart is not you yeah, know it's it's a denial of the flesh, yeah it really it really is that's that's exactly what that is but um they also uh a- another another part of that issue you'll have them raise the matter of well, how much did it cost to decorate this church mm-hmm. well, maybe read the Old Testament. How much did it cost to build the temple? Decorate the temple? Oh, even even just the tabernacle, everything is coated in fine cloth and jewels, embroidery, gold, silver. I mean, this is not a a cheap thing that they built there.
0: Yeah, they actually sacrificed their wealth for it. Which we should. I would put all my money towards having a beautiful church. I mean,
1: yeah, it's
0: it's going towards something better.
1: That does tie into. a lot of people will argue that you know, oh well, today we are not bound to tithe. And I mean, if you really want to argue, are you required to tithe?" it winds up being a bit like in so many other cases, you know, baptism is are you required to be baptized to be saved? Yes, but no, but yes it's it's similar in terms of tithing, are you required to tithe? Not absolutely. But a Christian will tithe. Exactly. I mean, it goes back to James. I mean, that's exactly what James... Not only only will a Christian tithe, but tithing is the one thing in Scripture where God directly tells us to test it. What verse was that? I I would have to look up. I don't remember which exact verse that is, but God says that we should test him, because he says that he will bless us if we tithe. And he, he literally, in those words, invites us to test him. So if we're not tithing, if we're not giving of what God has given to us in the first place, if we're not giving these things to the church, then we're calling God a liar in a place where he is adamant about us testing him. Yeah because he will prove that he is telling the truth. He will prove that his promises are true. Let's talk again
0: about um, just the focus on aesthetics, because, I mean, I know myself personally, uh, you know, coming from, I mean, I was never part of the Church of Christ, but, like, their churches are very barren to the point to where they will not even have music. And so when I wanted to switch over, of course I looked at Eastern Orthodoxy quite a bit. But it was my, you know, I already knew the solas. So, I mean, I pretty much wanted to find something beautiful, but also Protestant, still Christian. Yeah, still Christian. That's and so the
1: problem with the uh, the Eastern.
0: Yeah, and so you know, Lutheranism was you know the answer to that. But what really just irks me, and even you know, people I've talked to think that I go overboard with it because I mean, I've you know been around like I guess in um, you know circles where people like talk about this a lot, and I've had a lot of people tell me that I go overboard. Thing is, there should never be a place where you can be Lutheran in name only and not have the beauty associated with it. Because, of course, yes, the beauty is still secondary, but it's also, in a sense, required. It goes back, you know, very similar to the uh,
1: argument on baptism. It flows naturally. Yes. If you believe that God is actually present in your church, If you believe that God is specially present in the divine service, you are going to, like I said, behave, dress, but you are also going to decorate the church in a certain way. Yeah. You're going to decorate it in a way that demonstrates you believe your king is present and you're having an audience with him.
0: Yeah, and you're going to be faithful to the liturgy because this is not like come and show up and, you know, do whatever you say or or do whatever you you want and read some Bible and then go home. Like, you know, we're actually... Conduct, you know, the the clergy's conducting in a way a service to yep. train catechumens because that's what they've been, you know, called to do. I really hate this uh, arrogance that a lot of contemporary pastors have where they're like, well, I know how to do it better than Lutherans have always done it. And how I'm going to do it is actually a lot, basically, a dumbed down version. Because I'll say this coming from Wales, I did not know what the intro was. I did not know what. The gradual was the gloria, the collect, or collect, I mean, none of that, because it's absent. Yeah. And they, it, sh- it should not be. basically stripped
1: it, everything out of the, the liturgy.
0: Yeah, I, I consider that a crime. I do not consider that, like, you know,
1: they no, get off the hook. It's hood. not it's hey. progress, it's not advancement. It's the same lie that the Enlightenment tells. It's oh, well, we've progressed socially and politically, so we're so much better than our ancestors. They were wrong about all these things because we're enlightened, and it's just not true. It's not true, and really, it's just a mark of degeneration. It's
0: getting worse, and as I always point out to people, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a post-millennial, post-millennialist. I think things actually get worse, and, you know, the, the Enlightenment's kind of proof of that because... Things are getting far worse. And anyone who wants to kind of counter that and say that we're better, you know, better off today, are they actually a
1: willing agent of Satan? There's a fundamental presuppositional, a prior problem when it comes to thinking that we are better off and better than our ancestors. Part of it is the conceit that material prosperity or comfort are what mattered most that those matter the most yeah and so I mean for instance you know we're we're sitting in a brewery we have pretty good food good beer very good beer i mean beer with ingredients from germany like if if you were living here 200 years ago you weren't drinking german beer in tennessee that just you weren't doing that because it wasn't an option And you weren't using, you know, the various things that I have here, you know, fountain pen made in Germany, laptop made, God alone knows where all the pieces came from. You didn't have those options. So yes, there's material prosperity. There are things we have that our ancestors didn't have. But how much are we missing that they did have? And on top of it, you have to, this is coming to the presuppositional or the prior issue. Because of original sin, because of the fall, We are separated from God. Yes, as Christians, we are reunited. We are adopted into the family of God because of Christ. We are adopted in Christ. But we still physically suffer the consequences of the fall. We are still at what is presently the tail end of a long line of human beings born post-fall. There are consequences of the fall. We are not getting better We are degenerating. We are getting worse as time goes on. And that's why evolution is such a pernicious lie. Evolution tells us that there's this upward, which makes no sense, because there's no conception of upward in a purely amoral system. But evolution has this conception of we are getting better, we are progressing, we are becoming more complex, which will ignore thermodynamics, I guess. But there's that conception underlying it, and that bleeds over into philosophy and culture and religion and people think that oh well obviously our culture and our society our civilization will get better over time because we're getting better and it's just not true we're getting worse all those things are getting worse we are less capable than our ancestors were
0: yeah and see that's the thing we need to have the church being a rock that stands you know and is not moved by the uh winds of time everyone who wants to change like you know everything about it to where it's not identifiable as the church anymore they're they're kind of admitting defeat. they're admitting that the church has been defeated and needs to you know pick itself up by its bootstraps and move along with the times when the times are like far worse than they were before in terms of like
1: I mean as far as UD as far as evil goes, I mean maybe we're not as bad as the antediluvians we don't know exactly how bad they were. They're pretty bad, obviously, since the flood was necessary. But it may be that the only thing preventing us from being slaughtered in a flood is that God said He wouldn't do it again. We yeah. may be, we may be just as bad as they were. Maybe we may be worse. Well, the I mean, thing is, we're theoretically—I guess theoretically—we may not be as bad because there are at least more believers today. Just in absolute hard terms, yeah. Because there were only eight in in Noah's day, so there are, there are more than eight Christians, thankfully, but. Well, but In do- terms of, like, the height and depth of our depravity, we may very well be worse than the antediluvians.
0: Yeah, well, the thing is, I would say that we are worse because, isn't it Christ himself who says, like, you know, if you've had the truth and you go away, like, it's going to be worse for you than well, it
1: was an unbeliever. Some of them would have had the truth. They at least had Noah preaching to them. They would have had some truth from their ancestors who would have heard it from, you know, initially Adam and then through Seth and whoever else. But well, there the, would the still be that. Is kind of we can just commit more and worse evil today. I mean, you had Baal worshippers and those who worshiped Moloch and yeah. other so called gods who demanded human sacrifice, but all of that pales in comparison to abortion. Yeah, those ancient Carthaginians or Canaanites, whatever culture it happened to be, Aztecs, whatever culture. Was sacrificing human beings, they could never have comprehended the scale at which we have committed infanticide. Yeah, I mean, because we, we literally, we've tens replaced tens of millions.
0: Yeah, we've just replaced Moloch with Thodery, basically. Thodery and Hose.
1: Yeah, I mean we, we worship the the same gods as all of the pagan ancestors. Realistically, I mean, they would say Moloch. We have yeah. abortion. They would say, Aphrodite, we have pornography. Uh, you have any of the various cults, the Orphic cults, the Dionysian cults, those things in the ancient world. Today, we have drugs. We have all the same false gods. They just take different names and different forms. Yeah. Or, or sometimes in the case of our elites, they're literally worshipping an avatar of Athena out in the forest. <laughs> and no one, no one bats an eye, and it's just, we let that pass by. And, oh, no, they're just... They're just wor- worshipping a fake god and possibly burning people to him. That's fine, her, it, whatever. And that, that's the one Alex Jones like busted, and he did. Yes, I mean he's said. So you believe it was legitimate? He is a complete nutter, but he's not totally wrong about everything, and he does good work sometimes. Yeah, well, I would just kind—I of mean, of obviously, it. he's controlled
0: opposition. He is, but that's why I was thinking about that because I've always had it in the back of my mind. Like no, that that's particular, real. you no, think that's that's real. Real? oh yeah, that's
1: real. no. There's uh, there are other. Documented instances of that. There aren't. We don't have video of it. I don't think we have video anyway. But we've had people write about it who've like snuck into it, yeah, and then written about what they saw. Hmm. We know the elites are doing these things. I'm just gonna say it seems I mean, so blatant. They like had Epstein. Yeah, you, you had you had Israel via Mossad, via Epstein, and other agents running a child sex, prostitution, probably murder as well. I mean, that would be just par for the course when it comes to Mossad, a blackmail ring in order to get Western politicians and anyone else to do whatever they want because, oh, well, we have video of you doing X, Y, and Z, all of which are horrendous things, probably some subject to the death penalty.
0: Yeah.
1: <sighs> it is. that's just the reality of the world. Today. It is,
0: and it really gets on my nerves that you have, like, okay, we can talk about this stuff, and it's just par for the course. It seems like you have a ton of even Lutheran pastors who would say, we're just getting into crazy town and we should just, you know, shut up and listen to what our authorities say. And to me, that's so much worse than someone who just has not looked into this stuff. Because a lot of the times these people know. It's like they kind of geekishly uh, hate watch Alex Jones and the like.
1: I admittedly don't ever watch him, but I also don't read the material. But at any rate, the the issue would be, again, with pastors believing they are experts in things in which they are not experts. Yeah. It's the same as the, oh, well, I'm a pastor, I'm a theologian. That doesn't follow. Oh, well, I'm a pastor, I'm an expert. That doesn't follow. You are not, as a pastor, necessarily, and be- and being a pastor does not make you an expert with regard to things in the left-hand kingdom. And so when it comes to politics or society or any of these other various issues, you do not necessarily know what is going on. There are undoubtedly men in your congregation, or at least there should be men in your congregation, if you are doing your job, who know more than you do. Yeah. I and agree. you should listen to those men. They are supposed to listen to you when it comes to theology, when it comes to dogma, when it comes to doctrine, because that is your area of expertise. Those are some things you are supposed to know. But... Other men have other areas of expertise. Other men have domain-specific knowledge for other things. Well, now and it, it Maybe like... those men understand the state of the world far better than the pastor. Now, the pastor does have a duty to know the state of the world, because you cannot care for your sheep unless you understand yeah. the threats to those sheep. Oh, yeah, and totally, this day and age, I mean, there's two uh, instances—
0: One was the COVID debacle with uh, forced injections. Yes. The other one is just the hell that Zoomers live in (laughs) and how much we have been psychologically manipulated by evil. Pastors, by and large, they don't care about that. They don't care about that state of the world. They care about the state of like the SEC
1: or the NFL. Very few people under the age of 30 and then... You could also talk about under the age of 25 and even under the age of 20, but very few people, once you go up every increment of, you know, five to 10 years, mm-hmm. understand what is going on with younger generations, just how bad it really is. Yeah, because they they look back to their childhood and even some millennials are like I said, if you're, you know, those under 30 and I mean, millennials obviously are not older than that, Thirty-seven. They look back on their childhood. Like if I look back to high school, things weren't so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the part of Los Angeles I lived in was pretty good. Yes, there were bad areas. At the time, if I had driven to Compton, it would not have been a good choice. Mm-hmm. Today it's mostly warehouses, so it who cares? But there was bad and there was good.
0: Yeah, I mean, heck, when Today, I Today,
1: grew- there's just a lot of bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, my childhood, I mean, I'm remembering People having drugs in elementary school, having sex in elementary school, and being taught to basic, basically, you know, roll over backwards uh, when anyone talks about gay rights and that type of nonsense. Yes, and it's like that's my childhood.
1: <laughs> well, we, we just saw that. We, we saw the consequences of that. If you look at the demographics in terms of voting for this immediately past election cycle, Zoomers broke hard left. Really. And that's just, its the result of indoctrination. They have been indoctrinated to be good little citizens. Yeah, and the to thing be is... supporters of the system as it currently stands, to defend the status quo, the status quo that ironically changes constantly, but to defend whatever the system says is the current thing. Yeah, and the thing
0: is, whenever my generation wants to go quote-unquote trad or, you know, fly a frog profile picture... You'll have all these pastors who are not thinking that, you know, we actually want things to get more godly. They will hate us, for, you know, doing these things. They, they hate the drag culture. And I'm like, you know, these kids, I mean, yes, many people who would fly those profile pictures and, you know, act in a certain way, somewhat trollishly and very immaturely, but they can get, you know, be given a break because they actually are young I was and immature. They're
1: actually children, so yeah, like they're
0: they're getting under the skin of all these pastors, and I'm like, you know, where were you when things were getting so bad, and what are you doing about it now, other than tweeting about the NFL or the SEC? I mean, it's horrible.
1: Yeah, particularly the the boomer generation is not so good when it comes to addressing it, but it's because the boomers are, are still living in the mentality of their youth. Yeah, they, to them, their their childhood was a Christmas story, and it's still yes, like exactly. Thing. They don't they don't realize how far things have fallen in the last forty years. Mm-hmm. They still think it's the the nineteen eighties or the seventies or whatever. Yeah, maybe even the sixties. But I mean, it's disgusting. And so they no, they just they have no idea what millennials and younger have faced. Some Gen Xers as well. Gen X is kind of split between the ones who like the boomers and the ones who kind of have more in common with the millennials. But I will say, I do know we We've had to deal with the decay of the world, and those who are older just have not had to deal with it because they have deliberately blinded themselves to it and ignored it because they don't want to deal with it because if they have to confront it, they have to realize, well, I played a role in this. Oh, no. They would have to actually repent. Which Christians should find concerning, because if you are impenitent, your eternity may not be so pleasant. Yeah. Well, to be fair, though, I do
0: know more base Gen Xers than any any other
1: demographic. I know more Millennials, but that may just be because I am, in fact, a Millennial.
0: Yeah. I can't really say the same about Zoomers. I mean, I do know very base Zoomers, but at the same time, it's definitely not the norm. I, I mean, it might be yeah. the norm if you live on Twitter, but... Well, if you're elected, I, you know I, I mean, think Zoomers,
1: Zoomers are very strongly split. Yeah. There are hard right and hard left. I do think the hard left outnumber the hard right for Zoomers. I think the you election know, cycle definitely bore that out. But it is a, there's more of a dichotomy. There's more of a that strong split in the Zoomer generation. Yeah. A lot of millennials just learn to, you know, keep your head down and be quiet and, try to avoid the controversy because, you know, yeah. if you, you know, it's it's the old whack-a-mole game. If you're not the mole with his head up, you don't get whacked with a stick.
0: Yeah. Well, going back to contemporary worship, I really think that that's going to be a hindrance to all these people getting back into the church. And, you know, they're not going to go to a hardcore traditional church. They're going to go to this kind of loosey-goosey church that, plays creed which i do like creed by the way but they're going to go to that and they're not really going to be sure to clip that out of it later now creed is amazing but they're going to go to that and they're not going to get they're not they're not going to change they're not going to be in like a church culture and i think nowadays we just have this very strong oh you know you're christian on uh sundays but it doesn't bleed into your culture That's why I love reading about liturgy. I love reading about Lutheran history. And, I mean, even just what our pastor does in uh, Bible study, because he's very adamant about teaching us the history of the church. Yes. It was never like that. Like, you know, if you're in the church, you're in the church and it bleeds into your, you know, everyday life. I mean, you have literally traditions that carry you forth each day, like, you know, get up and say your prayers and cross yourself and that type of thing. And that's lost when you have like, you know, we're just gonna ape the rock bands in a very bad way. Other than creed, because they're they do it they do it pretty good.
1: Well it's it's partly an outgrowth of the American system and I mean America, not America because America we should typically if we're being specific, if we're being careful with our terms, by America we mean the nation. But the United States, the country, is an enlightenment construct. And so you have this imported idea of the separation of church and state, which is an idea straight from the pit of hell, because the whole purpose of the so-called separation of church and state is to decrease the influence of the church over the culture Mm-hmm. That's all it is. The only goal is to destroy Christian influence in the public sphere. Because if you create a separation, a so called wall, to think a certain founding father and a certain group of Baptists, if you create that, then you create a vacuum in the left hand kingdom. Well, anywhere there's a vacuum, Satan is going to rush in to fill that. Oh, totally. And so if you do not have Christians wielding power, seizing power, acting as Christians in the left-hand kingdom, then you are going to have Satan and his various foot soldiers, largely pagans and Jews. Yeah, They will be the ones taking over in the left-hand kingdom.
0: See, that's actually kind of applicable to my, uh, which I think it's a thing no one listening to this cares about, but my old podcast, which I'm actually doing again now, but I left it because it started getting very anti-Christian. And as soon as I left it, uh, you started getting literal, you know, Jewish commentators on uh, as well as like outright Satanist people. And I'm like, you know, this. Well,
1: there's only a little little daylight between those two. They're pretty much the same. Oh, totally. But yes. Were you getting something to it? No, I, I was just making sure that uh, things are running smoothly on the computer and it's good.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, it's very depressing, but really it comes down to, you know, when you read the Book of Concord, one of the first things you read is specifically about this. I can't remember where it was because, I mean, I kind of read the Book of Concord like a novel. I should have actually, you know, broke it up in sections. You read a
1: little bit every day.
0: Yeah. As I do. But one of the first things is about the Left Hand Kingdom.
1: I can't remember which uh, document it's in. Well, I mean, the preface is addressed to the Emperor which it's difficult to get more bluntly related to the left-hand kingdom than addressing your confession to the emperor. (laughs) Yeah. Granted, part of the reason was, timing-wise, the Reformation at the time of the the Augsburg Confession and the Book of Concord, you had the issue of the Muslims, the Turk, so-called, in the Book of Concord, attempting to invade and conquer Europe. And so you had this consideration of Christendom needed to be united in order to repulse this invader. And so part of it is it's addressed to the emperor because that's what's going on at the time. But it is also addressed to the emperor because it is proper for princes to ensure that in their domains, the faith is correctly taught and maintained. And we have that throughout the Book of Concord that part of the duty of a prince is to maintain right doctrine and right teaching within his realm. Because the prince has his power, has his office, has his position, is appointed by God. And so he will be called to account for what he did with what God gave him. Yeah. I do not envy Emperor Charles, because he opposed the Reformation, opposed God's church, and so he is going to have to answer some uncomfortable questions at the judgment.
0: Yes, it's true. I mean, same can really be said for
1: America. Yeah, basically, every president ever.
0: Yes, really.
1: I mean, I can't think of a single one who really promoted the church in a meaningful way.
0: Now, even Trump, I mean, he did not because, again, well, his. Yeah. I mean, wasn't his like.
1: It was kind of a dumpster fire.
0: <laughs> he was like, wasn't his like a spiritual leader or something? Some woman well, maybe, who, like. Yes. I mean, it's disgusting. that's all you
1: need to know. I mean, I well, that baby is unhappy. That the uh the noise filter made us completely erase that, so people may think I'm crazy. But You think it erased the vacuum? Probably. <laughs> I guess we'll see. People will let us know. I don't really care. It's tit, you know. There's background noise, whatever. It's part of the charm. Um But as far as Trump goes, I've never really liked him, honestly. Part of it is that where I lived in LA, he had a golf course. Not from when I was really young, but he bought the golf course at some point, or at least he bought he bought the land and then he built the golf course. I remember because they totally botched it. Because uh, in Southwest LA, the cliffs, the oceanside cliffs there, are very dry. I mean, it makes sense. LA is a desert. Essentially, it's chaparral, but it's a desert um they were putting grass and doing earth moving stuff out on the cliffs because it's this beautiful golf course right on the cliffs ocean view beautiful view out to catalina great location not the most competent people doing this though because well if you have very dry conditions over a long period of time and then you irrigate them what do they do they slide into the ocean so I remember driving by it one day in high school and I think it was the 18th hole had just slid into the ocean. This mm-hmm. giant chunk of the cliff was gone. But sort of a tangent. But I, one of the reasons I didn't like Trump is that he's so egotistical. He's solipsistic. He, only Trump matters at Trump's mind. He is the Which arch boomer. He, he made very obvious that the only thing that matters to Trump is Trump. And so he fought with the city for a long time and was just extremely annoying because he wanted to rename everything around his golf course to Trump. (laughs) He wanted to be like Trump Street and Trump Boulevard, you know, and Trump Way and Trump this and Trump, you know, everything to be Trump. And so it was just, he's always rubbed me the wrong way. I don't like him. But even though I don't like him, if he had been a good president, I would have supported him. I would have had no problem with that. But he was not. He had a an enormous opportunity, and he just completely and utterly squandered it in yeah. every way conceivable. The only thing he did that was decent, and he didn't do it, he had advisors who gave him good nominations, good nominees for the Supreme Court, and he got, well, he didn't even get them through. So all he did was someone said, here's a list of names. He picked from the list, maybe picked from the list, maybe someone picked for him. And then those in the Senate actually did the work to get it through. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I mean, yes, we can give him credit because he was the president, his pen signed it, he was the one in office at the time. And so, yes, due to the justices appointed under Trump, we did get Roe v. Wade overturned. So there was some good, but other than that, I mean, what did he accomplish?
0: Nothing I can think of, just kind of of anti things.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, But I will say, though, and this isn't necessarily related to Trump, but... You know the 2016 election. I'm all, literally, I'm always going to remember it because that was the time that personally, I and many of my friends really got on. I guess you would say red pill. Of course, then it was sort of the more boomer version, where like, yeah, we're going to be defiantly can, uh, you know, conservative and screw Hillary and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it quickly got you know more intense. But I still know a lot of people who are like. Trapped in a forever libertarian stage, but
1: well, I mean, if it, if it was done while it lasted, if the, if the options are a man versus a woman, you vote for the man, it doesn't really matter because the, the woman shouldn't be running,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> so it's you know, you just or I mean, if let's say the, the man is like openly evil, then you don't, you still don't vote for the woman because as scripture makes clear, being ruled by women and children, incidentally, scripture is comparing the two and making them roughly equivalent there, but being ruled by women and children is a curse from God. So I'm certainly not going to vote for God to curse me. That seems deeply unwise.
0: Yeah. You know, that particular verse, I hate it when you bring it up and you'll bring it up to a pastor and you'll always get a very long, well, actually, that verse is talking about blah, blah, blah. They do not want to just focus on the words and no, of
1: course we're not they have enlightenment priors and they don't want to just accept what scripture says when scripture says something that conflicts with those enlightenment priors and so when scripture says that women are to be silent in the church they're to learn in all submissiveness it, scripture is not subtle about these things scripture is blunt scripture is straightforward it's very clear women are to be silent in church
0: yeah it's very depressing that the people who should be leading us in church, just they they won't walk into that territory. And the thing is, it's biblical territory. Yeah, it's, yeah, they, yeah. they should already be there, but it's an uphill
1: battle. But Well, it'd be one thing if they just weren't there because they were taught poorly, they were catechized poorly, whatever it happens to be. But they actually attack those of us who bring up the proper teaching. And the property just with learn if they would just learn instead of attacking us that'd be totally fine I don't expect everyone to know everything yeah. no one knows everything starting out you have to learn these things
0: yeah I mean, It kind of goes back to like what you were talking you and woe were talking about on the stone where it's like they know what they were taught by you know legitimate you know boomer instructors. It's like they don't know anything before that, and to them, it's just like a novel, right. historical thing. They don't want to emulate that. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, this is how it was. The men and women were separated in church, and head coverings were mandatory. But today, no,
1: oh, yeah, it's a I'm little sure, bit. I'm sure things are much better today. It's clearly our culture is more Christian today than Europe was in the past, right? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> six it now, Very obviously, not at all. It's that's the thing. A lot of this stuff is
0: so obvious, but they'll always write like novel-length responses to anyone who talks about this type of stuff, and it always
1: goes back. That's that's why we have the uh, the right wing. Well, we have the beloved phrase that uh, the left can't base. There's that, but it's also the one that makes the boomers flip out. Okay, boomer. Yeah, they just and they have no responses because it just makes them so angry, and it's like. Okay, it makes you angry, but it makes you angry because you kind of understand what we're saying. We're saying, you are so obstinately wrong, so impervious to reason, so set in your ways to the contrary, opposed to, you are the antithesis of all reason, logic, and decency, that I simply do not care to put in the time and effort to correct all of your various errors, so I am simply going to dismiss you, okay, but... It's perfect. And that's exactly what it is, and they hate it. They do. That's great. They should hate it. Yeah. Well, really, they should repent, but if they're not going to repent, then they should hate it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm pessimistic about it. Everyone else seems somewhat hopeful.
1: Yeah, you don't need to be pessimistic. I mean, when it comes to the boomers, okay, fine, be a little pessimistic, maybe, or maybe a little cynical, whatever you want to call it. How many of them can be brought around to the truth? Probably not very many, but millennials and younger, and like I said, there's that split in Gen X of whether they're kind of like, they're millennials, but older, or boomers, but younger. So those younger, I think, will be able to bring around enough people. Not necessarily the majority, but it's never been a matter of the majority. The majority has never been right. Yeah. Yeah, I just really wonder... Okay,
0: let's let's go back in time, like 100 years. What would a pastor, or not even a pastor, just an elderly person in the congregation who's not part of, you know, he's not on the elders board, he's just an old dude who goes to church. Some of our pastors now, what would he say to them and about them? And would discipline be like, you know, encouraged by said old person? Uh, That's assuming that an old person
1: from hundreds of years ago when have just chased a modern pastor with a stick. But, I mean, the, the, the laxity and the looseness of teaching, and morals, and decorum behavior, everything, at this point, I don't think you'd have anyone who was in a serious church back then who would condemn what is going on. Yeah. Because it's just a mess. Some Obviously, I'm not saying our church, because... Some churches are better than others.
0: You see, our church really, like, our, the one we go to, really seems like a diamond in the rough. Because first off, it's in, what is this, the mid-Atlantic?
1: We're in, I mean, we're in the South.
0: South. Yeah, we're in the South. Yeah. And
1: as... The South is not exactly... uh
0: Conducive to liturgical
1: the, the traditions best place churches. in the world when it comes to proper Christian churches of worship. No, not at all. It's historical. It's it's almost purely historical. The reason for it, for those who don't remember, is when the high church, the liturgical denominations came over here. So the Germans and the Swedes and the Norwegians, et cetera, mostly Lutheran, but also some Anglican. Episcopalian, Presbyterian. Back then, today, they're more of a mess. But when we came over, we came over to the same place as everyone else, the Eastern Seaboard. We largely moved to the Midwest and the northern parts of the country, so the Dakotas, other places like that. And what we did was we did exactly what it makes sense as a Christian to do. We set up churches, we set up schools, we set up seminaries, we set about Recreating the institutions you need to preserve Christendom. The low church denominations came over here and gave uneducated men who could maybe read. They couldn't even always read, which is ridiculous in the past mustard anyway, but they gave the Bible and a horse. Yeah. Circuit. And they went and they went and rode circuit. And that's how Baptist theology. Baptist churches, Pentecostalism, that's how those things spread through the South, and the South has never recovered. Yeah, no, well, even, okay,
0: so I've got a little story. Back when I worked uh, as an accountant for a a construction firm, one of the uh, construction workers would come in there, and, you know, he would talk to me about stuff, uh, you know, mainly about religion, because he knew I was also a Christian. (laughs) And one day he confided to me because I, I kind of suspected for a while that he was functionally illiterate, which is a thing in the South, uh, more prevalent than, than you would really think. But he said, uh, you yeah,
1: know, it, it I, happens I, in cities too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But no, he said, uh, he basically confided to me on the same day: A, that he could not read, B, that he wants to be a uh, teacher in his church, and the pastor of this church is also devils as a karate instructor. Oh, okay. And so they call the pastor, what is it, sensei?
1: Yeah, sensei. I mean... They call the pastor sensei. You could be a pastor and a karate instructor, but maybe leave calling him sensei to when you're in the dojo.
0: I mean, think about this church. Uh, pastor is called sensei. A teacher within the church cannot
1: read. I mean, this... It's a nightmare. Okay, if you're Japanese calling your pastor sensei, maybe that's okay. okay. But... If that you're is, that in the is, South, it's not... I, yeah, that's just that's such a disaster. I mean, that's, that's practically the definition of a dumpster fire. Yeah. And the problem is, in some ways, uh, the good churches, the liturgical denominations, the high churches, have abandoned some of these people. Yes, there is, in defense of our church and others, the high church there's a very real challenge to trying to get these people to actually believe the truth, to listen to you, to not just like scream at you incoherently that your pastor's in a dress. It's like, no, it's an alb, but, you know, trying to get them to understand these things is a challenge. But at the same time, we do need to put in more effort. We need to be trying to reach these people. We need to be engaging with the parishioners, more than the pastors and the teachers. Because the pastors and the teachers are pretty set in their ways. They're going to be obstinate. Theoretically, they've read the Bible. So they've come across our arguments, since, of course, our arguments are just scriptural. So for the Baptists, for instance, they've come across Peter. They know baptism now saves you. They've read baptism now saves you. They don't believe baptism now saves you. So you probably cannot reach a lot of them. But you could reach the average churchgoer, the average parishioner, because well, they at someone least, who broadly identifies. Well, at least been trained to believe that Scripture is the Word of God. So if you can show them that we believe in Scripture, yeah. and we can, because it's right there in Scripture. Yeah, that's why I was going to say.
0: It, it's easier to you know talk to someone who identifies as broadly
1: evangelical. Well, yeah, than it has it is, to be a Protestant.
0: Yeah, then it is a uh, you know a Baptist. You're,
1: you're not. Well, well th- the other thing is, they don't... True, but the thing is, you are going to reach Protestants, using the term broadly, you will reach Protestants better than Papists or the the Eastern sand demons. You're just not going to reach those people because they have opted to believe something that is not Christian. And in the case of the Eastern Heterodox they have chosen something for aesthetic and psychological reasons that is not actually Christian. And so you cannot make an appeal to Scripture or an appeal to Christianity in order to bring them over to your side because they don't believe in those things. Yeah. They don't believe in Scripture. They don't think it's the Word of God. They don't think it's important. They don't place it above their tradition, so-called. So you, you cannot really reach them. Well, let's talk about that for a second. The same thing with the papists. We'll get back to these real questions. You can't reach the papists because if there's one thing they have really taken in and believe, it's extra ecclesia salus. Yeah. They really believe that if you are outside the church, there's no salvation. And so they come to the opinion then, well, if I decide that Rome isn't right about these things, if I decide Rome is an error, there's no point looking anywhere else because outside the church, there's no salvation. Yeah. But back to the Eastern Orthodox.
0: Okay, so uh, I, I want to talk about the psychological manipulation of the Eastern Orthodox and how much it plays into things like Eurasianism and just you know simple uh, psychological warfare.
1: Dujin, Dudit, whatever. Yeah, Dujin. I don't know how to pronounce Russian. Don't tell my Russian ex. But yeah, no, there's
0: my Russian ex. What's her name? Something like some kind of brand of vodka.
1: Uh, honestly, it, maybe it sounds a little like vodka, yes. <laughs> it's not actually Smirnoff, though, so you know. It's, it's, at least it's good vodka, right? Smirnoff, I'm not saying is good vodka, because it's not. You want good vodka, it's Kettle one Tito's, or Belvedere. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. The Eastern Orthodox, so-called always quotes on orthodox there because they are not orthodox, because orthodoxus is right teaching, and they do not teach rightly. But the reason you get Western converts is you have, psychologically and almost always also physically, those things go together, weak men, and they see that our culture has problems. There is rampant degeneracy. You have all of these issues in the West. And so they decide they are simply going to abandon the West and go somewhere else. One, men don't just abandon ship and swim for the nearest island or a coal when they see problems. They fight to right the ship and save things. And so these aren't men, because they've abandoned, they're derelict in their duty, they're, they're worths. They're beneath consideration. But what they do is they find whatever the most alien thing they can find is and latch onto that, because they are fleeing from the problems in their own culture instead of addressing the problems in their culture, which it is the duty of men to address the problems in their culture. And so that's the psychology there. Like I said, it's physically and mentally emotionally weak men who look deliberately for something that is explicitly alien. And that is why they go for Eastern so-called orthodoxy. Because just look at it. It's alien. I look at their aesthetics, their so-called worship, everything about them, other than the fact that they follow a liturgical pattern. Other than that, everything about them is angry. And so a functional, psychologically sound man would never go for it. So it tells you what sort of men you're dealing with when they have converted to Eastern Orthodox.
0: Well, there is the other... Uh... Aspect of like okay, not necessarily culturally in terms of America, but a lot of people who go for it—they're coming out of the Christianity that they have at home—is Pentecostalism or just something insane. Yes, you do have some of that, and so I do look on them with
1: you know I understand well why they is yes, they're coming out of the non-denominationalism, the Pentecostalism, Baptist, whatever it happens to be, low church something yeah but they still opt for something that is totally alien instead of well what are their options well if your ancestors are celtic you know you're irish or you're scottish Well, why aren't you looking at presbyterianism why aren't you looking at episcopalianism yeah if you come from that part of the world if you're from germanic europe why aren't you looking at lutheranism if you're exactly. Scandinavian, your ancestors were Lutheran. Why aren't you looking at Lutheranism? Yeah, why most of these
0: guys, at... they do not have an- ancestors who were Russian, Ukrainian, etc. Yeah,
1: there's there's a... You do have the ones who have an ethnic connection to those churches, and there's, those churches are still wrong. They still teach false doctrine. If you believe what they actually believe, you're going to hell. But, if you have that ethnic connection, at least there's some sort of warrant, there's some reason for why you looked into it. But, if you're German, why on earth are you looking at Eastern Orthodoxy? If you're Swedish, your state church for centuries with Lutheranism, why are you looking at this totally alien thing? Yeah. When you have high church Christianity, yes, the Swedish church today is a mess, but show me a traditional denomination day that is not a mess. And, you know, now they're probably sitting in Orthodox somewhere screaming about, well, my church isn't, your church is an enormous dumpster fire of a mess. You have priests openly calling for ordination of homosexuals for the recognition of homosexual marriage. You have monasticism, which has all the problems monasticism has had historically. Yeah, as well as the
0: whole Seraphim Rose thing. Seraphim Rose
1: was an open
0: homosexual. Yeah, who who opened up a monastery with the pedophile. I was like, come on,
1: guys. Like, this isn't even subtle. There's I mean, you just look at it, you can see the problems. It's the same problems throughout all time. The the centuries have not changed human nature and humanity. If you have monasticism, you wind up with pederast. That's how it goes. One of the reasons that we as Lutherans oppose monasticism, because a tree is known by its fruit. What kind of fruit do you produce with monasticism? Pedophiles. You definitely (laughs) produce fruits, but not the good kind. So... But yeah, no, I, I don't really have, I don't really pity the Eastern Orthodox. I, I look at them as traitors because they have turned their back on everything that is good and right. They've abandoned their culture, their history, their brothers and sisters, and they're traitors.
0: And yeah. there is some truth to that. I mean, I know my, my family basically followed me into the church because I wasn't raised in the church. You know, I really believe I would have had a harder time get like say I had actually converted to orthodoxy. It would have been I mean, a lot harder to get them into an orthodox church than it would be a Lutheran church. I just, you know, the fact cuz again, the orthodox church, they're going to go in there like they're there's something off here yeah, whereas it's Lutheran totally,
1: it's totally alien. Yeah, I mean just the aesthetics when you want that's, that's another thing. I don't find their aesthetics arguments convincing. Because when you walk in, and yes, I know I said earlier that they are not wrong about aesthetics, but they're not wrong about aesthetics battering. Their aesthetics are terrible. Because you walk into an Eastern Orthodox church, and you're just assaulted by, like, gold and shiny and gaudy and it's I will, just, it's overwhelming. And the thing I, I'll is disagree with you, do. No, I understand partly why they haven't. It. it is an ethnic thing. It is cultural. Russians, Greeks, and everyone between those two love that shiny, gold, gaudy, ornamented, overwhelming sort of design and architecture. And it's just, that's not a Euro- Western European aesthetic. It's not a Western European design. It's not our sense of good taste. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, when I say our sense of good taste is correct and theirs is wrong, but if culturally they like a little more gold, they're fine to do that in their churches I don't want to hear. Yeah, it's hideous. I hate it. I don't want to see. It.
0: The gold. I agree with you on, but in terms of like the icons and a lot no. of the paintings still
1: like that, because they draw people weird.
0: I like that though, but I guess
1: that's. Do I mean, want, I I don't think we're free to like it because depicting human beings in that way, in a degenerate way, depicting human beings in a subhuman way, is a hallmark of modernism certain forms of paganism, and Jewishness. Yeah. If you've ever been in a Jewish home, one of the things you will notice is they do not have natural depictions of human beings. Yeah. It it is, Satan hates the human form, and so he does not want it depicted normally. He wants Picasso, he doesn't want Rembrandt.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the things are more symbolic. I mean, I don't know that much about them, but I know that there's more meaning behind it other what than one
1: symbolism go for woodcuts we have that in the western tradition
0: the woodcuts are better and i will say lucas what's his name chronic okay. yeah everything he's done is much better than anything an orthodox you know artist has done definitely i would just say we need to fill our churches with far more uh are paintings and make it overwhelming because like my soul is defined okay. by okay. the gaudy and the kids
1: wouldn't go for overwhelming but we you can do with, I mean, our church is is good. We do have, yeah,
0: straight, our church is, we have
1: stained glass windows yes. and the candles and the pyramids. and the, we have the traditional ornamentation of a Western Christian temple, church, which is good.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, when I walk into our church, I feel like I'm walking into a place where it's like, yeah, this is where this heaven is church. Yeah, this is a church where heaven actually comes down to you when you walk into specifically a Wells church or a Reformed church. It's gonna be. Um, Why is it actually more ugly in here than it is on the outside? That that shouldn't be true. (laughs) That's a good
1: point, because part of the divine service is you are participating. You are part of the church triumphant in the divine service. You are worshiping with the faithful departed. And Baptists, non-denominational, others don't believe that. That's not how their theology works. They don't think that they're actually worshiping with the faithful departed. And so... They don't feel this need for that connection between the celestial and the earthly, because it's not part of their theology, which, of course, is wrong.
0: Yeah, I don't get how it's not, because it seems like, kind of blanking on an exact scripture verse, but it's just the whole idea. I mean, first off, they are angels. Well, it's the, when great, it's
1: the great cloud of witnesses. Yeah.
0: And again, you know, when St. Paul's talking about, the, you know, the head coverings, he references it's because of the angels. I don't know what he means there. Well, but...
1: it, it can just mean messengers. There are a few different ways to interpret that. But
0: okay, so is I anyone mean, we, f- could,
1: we could get into why head covering are important? The head coverings are important because women are to have a symbol of authority. Because women are not an authority. Yeah, women are supposed to be under authority, and having a head covering or at least some symbol of authority, preferably on the head. Okay, so what's it's how you demonstrate that.
0: Yeah, no, there, there is one Lutheran pastor, because uh, the thing is, actually got this from a Lutheran podcast. I think it may have been Whedon where he re- referenced that verse, and he basically is like, yeah, it's angels, as in, you know, celestial angels. It's
1: fine to interpret that way. There are several ways you can interpret it. That's one. Well, because it's angelos. And angelos in Greek can also just be messenger. Yeah. That is where we get angels, because angels are the messengers of God.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, again, when you're talking or when you're looking at Jesus' words in Revelation, angel there obviously means pastor. Are you are you going for uh,
1: one beer today? or
0: uh, I could probably go for an, another small one. Are you getting one or not? Yeah, I may get one more. Uh, I decided to get a rock beer too. Way to go. It's good beer. Yeah, I like it more than the Dunkel.
1: I like both. They're just, they're different. I mean, obviously, one's smoky, one's not. It's a very big difference. Yeah. So, how
0: do they actually smoke it? Are they just like, how do you smoke a liquid?
1: How it's aged. Same way, basically, the same way you uh, smoke whiskey, make whiskey a smoky flavor, barrels. Yeah. Because beer is barrel aged. So, hm, I didn't know that not very long in terms of most beer.
0: Wait, so it doesn't get the dark color from the barrel, correct? From what? It doesn't get the dark color from the barrel, right?
1: Some of it. Some of the color from barrel. barrel. Um, higher ABV, which often does correlate with darker, not always. There are some fairly light in terms of ABV dark beers yeah. and some fairly light in terms of color, high alpha. So this depends, but darker beers, as the same as wine, darker beers, darker wines can age for longer, develop more complexity, character. They hold up to it better than light beer, and you know white wine. Yeah. That you don't you don't age a white wine in a barrel that's going to impart a strong flavor because it would just absolutely overwhelm the white wine. Yeah. I don't usually drink white wine but I do like some wines. I actually, no, I actually, I shouldn't say some wines. I like wine. I do like some white wines, but usually for white wine, I prefer dessert wines. Not like, I know, I know women in particular really like Chardonnay, but every time I have a Chardonnay, I just go, yep, that's Chardonnay. I just, I don't enjoy it. I do not enjoy that wine varietal. Like I, I don't know what that was. It was like, a year or something ago in the chat, I mentioned that, you know, I moved and I found in my pantry a, a nice, a nice bottle of Chardonnay. A client had given it to me and, you know, I opened it, drank it and I'm like, well, <laughs> that Chardonnay? it was good, but it was unfortunately good Chardonnay. So yeah. it's like, I just... To be honest, the only wine I like is Merlot. I don't really right. like any other. Thing. I like glow. I mean, if you like Merlot, you probably would like Cabernet. I like Cabernet. Honestly, I like a lot of different ones. Cotero is good. It's a little... It's not necessarily hard to get in the U.S. It's just there are only so many of the uh, varieties you can get. That was... When I was in Paris, that was probably my favorite bottle I had at a restaurant. Hold You like how the... uh divider between the urinals and the restroom has been torn off the wall like seven times. Oh, I didn't even notice you it. You didn't look. There, there are a whole bunch of holes in the divider and in the wall where they've had to re-attend. That's If I opened a brewery, I would, and any, anyone who happens to be European listening to this is now just absolutely appalled at the savagery that is U.S. architecture and design. Because in, the, in Europe, you have ceiling to floor dividers for stalls. It's not a little hanging piece of metal between urinals where you get, like, the weird guy next to you to talk to you. But... Yeah, I thought you despised urinals on principle. No, they're totally fine when you're... You... you have to sit to pee when you are at home or at the house of a good friend or family member. Because you don't want to splash, make a mess. It's just... It's just decency. It's, Etiquette. In public, no, absolutely. You stand when you're doing your business.
0: Fair enough. I mean,
1: mean, I'm a hiker. You know, you occasionally have to pee in a tree. But, no, that's one thing. If I were opening a brewery or something, I would be very sure to attach that divider extremely well to the wall. Because you get the drunk guy who is, like, trying (laughs) to hold himself up and pee at the same time and that's probably how it got and, Well, that's exactly what happens. You, you know, you get the the big guy who yanks it off the wall. while He's trying to hold himself up. You're lucky he doesn't knock himself out in the process, which brings up alcohol. Doesn't it? I don't. I mean, if we wanted to talk about you know, it's slapped out this mainly but being blackout drunk is a sin because you're losing control. You are abusing God's good gift. Being tipsy totally fine. And I know there's a Baptist, probably a lot of them somewhere, screaming, they don't know why. <laughs> but you can't say that being tipsy is a sin. The reason you can't say being tipsy is a sin is very straightforward. Jewish weddings in the time of Christ were a multi-day affair. Probably about three days. I mean, it would have depended, obviously, on how much money you had, various things like that. The wealthy could do you know a week, two weeks, something crazy. Same thing today. You know, wealthy people go on a, a three-month honeymoon. Everyone else is like, I got a weekend, great. But Christ made wine for a wedding party that had run out of wine. Yeah. <laughs> Weddings exactly. were a multi-day affair. They had already been drinking for like three days by the time he made the wine. Yeah. These people were not sober.
0: And the Son of God was perfectly okay making it so that they couldn't stay sober.
1: Yep. Well, and the, the best part is, you know, Beth, my He's made new wine. It's like, you're, you're an idiot. Speaking as someone who has done a decent amount of brewing, been friends with brewers, done tons of beer and other whiskey also to beds And that very good sizer. Yes. Actually, the sizer, the sizer is a good example, because if you pitch yeast into something, and it's a standard yeast, which means almost every single strain of yeast qualifies as a standard yeast, except for there are a handful of specialty ones that are super picky, but I'll explain why that doesn't help Baptist in a second here. A standard strain of yeast is going to ferment out to fourteen percent ABV. Because 14% ABV is where the alcohol in the solution kills the yeast, stops fermentation. And then you get flocculation, it all falls out, you get the sediment, you strain it off, etc. So, If you have any liquid with the right nutrient profile, and grape juice has the right nutrient profile, and you pitch yeast into it, you're getting 14% end product. So, wine in ancient times was 14%. Wine today is 14%. They artificially arrest fermentation early for some wines because it changes the alcohol profile or the flavor profile because you'll leave more sugar if you have less alcohol. So it'll be a sweeter one. So we do sometimes artificially arrest fermentation to change the profile. They didn't do that back then because they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the chemicals that you pitch in in order to kill the yeast. Yeah,
0: and That's why I really don't understand about Baptists. If you know history, you know, drinking is a normal part of life.
1: Well, wine to gladden the heart of man. Yeah. Bread to make him strong.
0: I mean, yeah, obviously in Scripture. Scripture is very there's...
1: clear that God made alcohol for us to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, if you actually read Ecclesiastes and pay attention to what's being said, what does it say is the best course of life for men? Eat, drink, be merry, and praise God. Yep. People take away the wrong thing from Ecclesiastes. They take it away as like, you know, dour and life is horrible and we're all... Oh gosh,
0: I know one person...
1: That's not it. It's literally, eat, drink, and be merry, and praise God. Yeah, well,
0: Well, it can can also be a bad thing in the sense that I know a person who (laughs) literally... you know, they, they wholeheartedly believe the book of the Ecclesiastes promotes capitalism. And I'm like, I mean, I, I just actually reread Ecclesiastes for this issue, and I'm like, yeah, I've, that I have is had enough, very, very
1: I have wrong. enough bears for that argument yet.
0: <laughs> no, it's a disgusting argument.
1: Oh, I, I mentioned that I would say why the specialty yeast do not help out this. One, they would not have had specialty yeast back then. I mean, yes, maybe there's one floating in the air, but the reason they're specialty yeasts is because they actually ferment out higher. The specialty ones are alcohol tolerant, so they ferment out to 16, 18, maybe even a little higher percentage. So, okay, this wine one actually was, wine was like minimum 12,
0: 13%. Okay, I have a new idea. We can actually make going to the quote unquote holy land a good thing by, okay, we're going to go there and flying a bathroom. Well, okay, imagine an alcohol tour of the Holy Land <laughs> where it's like, okay, this is what the historical drink would have been like. And it's just be, literally, you know, a weekend or a, probably a week since you have to fly there, week or two of like just sampling uh, a ton if of...
1: If going there, anywhere that far away, you should go for at least two weeks because travel winds up being a full day on either side. Like when I was living in Berlin, traveling there, you know, from L.A., it's a 14-hour-ish flight. It winds up taking up your whole day. yeah. So it's it's a whole day to go either way. I don't get... It's even worse for most people. I don't get jet lag. Um, I think my father might, but no one else in my family gets jet lag. And so I could travel wherever it was. Either I usually just skip sleeping that night, and then I'm on the new schedule the next day, and I'm totally fine. So if you don't get jet lag, it's not so bad. But if you get jet lag, you got like two, maybe three days where you're just kind of traveling or out of it so you you need that extra time but I never... I don't have I don't have the desire to visit the so-called holy land because there's nothing there I mean okay Jesus stood roughly in this physical location at some point okay it
0: doesn't really matter because he created the world
1: I know it's like he he also created like the material that makes up the chair I'm sitting in now I don't need to go stand. He created you. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to go stand on the Mount of Olives, and I really don't want to because it's in Israel, modern Israel, geopolitical Israel, which is obviously separate from spiritual Israel, which is another thing that Baptists get totally on. Despite the fact that you know Romans is so incredibly blunt. Not all who are born of or descended from Israel, which is to say ethnic Israel, descended from Jacob, descended from Abraham, are of Israel. So i a Baptist church. Two different senses of Israel. Same, literally the same verse, same sentence. And they can't, they don't, they don't get it because they don't want to get it.
0: No. Now I was in a Baptist church one time and they'll do these things where like, people will just get up to stand I think that's what they call it, and they'll just say whatever's on their mind. And of course, Pentecostal. Yeah, well, of course, one person did it. It was all about Israel, and the whole time I'm thinking, like, this church should not exist because it's
1: not an actual church. I mean, like, read what Rice said about ethnic or geopolitical Israel. You know, wasn't exactly promising. Agree. Pretty much, he just prophesied their destruction. Yeah, which came at the hands of Titus in AD seventy. Yeah, which is I, a do love, thing to read about. I do love when they do their nonsense at the Wailing Wall, so called, because it's the wall of a Roman state. Christ said that not one stone would be left upon another, and so the entirety of Jerusalem was destroyed. And so these people who go over there and put on the special tiny hat, and then write out their prayer and shove it in the hole in the wall or whatever it is they're doing there. Uh, They're completely insane because they're worshiping in a Roman stable. So congratulations, you're standing where horsemen who used to be eight feet deep. Congratulations, you are absolutely Yeah. Kind of, but of course it's a humiliation ritual, but yeah, well, yeah, it. yeah I was about to say the
0: famous picture of Trump doing it. I mean, there's a famous picture with like everyone with, you know in politics doing you're, it.
1: the, the yeah. one with Trump is the one like the other dynamite wall. <laughs> I mean, there's no point. Like I said, it's a Roman stable. Who cares about preserving or getting rid of it?
0: You yeah.
1: know. I'm not saying I don't believe in preserving ancient artifacts history. I'm just saying that it's a broken-down wall in a far-flung province that no longer looks like anything except for a bunch of stoves piled each other.
0: Yeah. Don't they take chickens and, like, smash them against it, too, or yeah. something?
1: I don't know. They have, what is it, Sukkot? They have their festival where they can't do sacrifices anymore, so instead they torture chickens once a year.
0: That's lovely.
1: You know, apparently blind all like, because it's standard jewish fashion they will do whatever they can to try and get around what god actually said yeah it's it's the snake all over again that god actually said
0: yeah and again sadly you know we're we're not immune for it or from it because we see yeah. in the modern church it's pretty much run rampant in terms of you know again enlightenment thinking
1: Personally, I I am fairly immune. So, (laughs) Um. what is that? No, it's just my computer has decided it's not actually going to sleep. It's just turning off the screen. I just wanted to open it up again so I could see what it's doing.
0: Yeah. It's It's, funny.
1: It's a Mac, so it's reliable.
0: Yeah. This whole thing has been literally exactly like just like a normal, you know after Sunday lunch. And it, yes. <laughs> like the day, uh the microphone is literally It just happens done to be here. Yes. Yeah. Although I will say the balcony is a lot better than it is down there. It's like they actually went into...
1: Well, it's partly the decor is nicer and it's partly honestly just that the speakers aren't on. Yeah. Because (laughs) when we first came here they such bad music.
0: Yeah, I was about to say they used to play like good German stuff and
1: now it's like just ninety four point nine. It depends on the day you're here, but yeah, it's it's usually just some questionable I don't know if it's actual radio or internet I think it's internet radio, but yeah, it's not my favorite. No, it's
0: pretty bad. Got this one today and then Later on tonight, will be a uh, quiet place, which the one we did last Sunday lasted five hours. No. So I was literally doing this for five hours. Partially fun.
1: Not going to lie. What time did you start? Uh, like 7 p.m. That's not too bad, then. I was going to say, if you started at like 11 at night, then that's... Startin- so we used to starting do- to get a little extreme. We used to do eight-hour
0: streams. And my memory may be wrong, but I think one time it was
1: actually 12 hours. Do people actually watch that? I don't know. (laughs) Who who has the time, the wherewithal, and the mental imbalance to want to watch a a 12-hour stream? I I guess it, it does depend. depends on the people involved, because certain people I could see being worth listening to watching for that long. I know I'm not worth listening to for that long. Uh, Some people apparently would like to listen to me for that. Long, so I don't think I'm going to do a 12-hour stream. But I'm just going to be honest. There's no one I would listen to for that long. Like I mean, I maybe mean, Saint Paul and Jesus. I would I would do a 12-hour stream <laughs> if it were you know for charity and if we're going to raise a million plus. Then I would consider it. But anything short of that. I'm not, I'm not doing a 12-hour stream. No. That wouldn't be fun to listen to. I may like coffee. I may not sleep that much, but there there are limits. There are lines. Yeah, pretty much. It's not,
0: it's more of a thing where it's like, you're not, it's less about the topic, more about it just being, like, it's basically fun for us. (laughs) That's what.
1: Yes. Not necessarily for anyone else. You're basically just going to a bar and drinking and talking with friends if there happens to be a microphone there. Exactly. I mean, in fairness, it's kind of what we're doing now. Oh.
0: How long have we uh, been going on it?
1: We are at an hour and 40 minutes of total recorded time. 40 or 14? 14. Hmm. But of course, some stuff will be stepped out and whatnot. Is it pretty hard to do that? No, that's not too bad. It takes roughly as long as the recording is plus forty to sixty percent, depending. Yeah. So not too bad. Because you basically have to listen to it again. Yeah. The only drawback is you know you're Depending. If you're a narcissist, I guess it's not a drawback, but the drawback is you're listening to yourself for hours on end.
0: I know I couldn't do it. I mean, I'll go back and, you know, every now and then look at, like, an old episode. I've been on something. and I, just, I, I can't do it. It's hard. Plus, again, my voice is, like, far more country than, like, it sounds to me. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's just, like, it's startling when I hear myself talk yeah. and the accent is so thick.
1: I... You don't have an accent, and I exactly. I was I was going to say, despite the protestations of certain members of the chat and others, I, as a Southern Californian, do not have an accent. We have a speech pattern. Someone who is used to, or at least can identify, the Southern Californian speech pattern can pick out a Southern Californian like that, but. We do not have an accent, which is convenient, because I can layer any accent on top of my normal speaking voice, so I can mimic almost any accent fairly easily. Okay, so mimic a uh, Tennessee accent. I I didn't say I was going to do an accent. No, I don't think—I don't know if I can do the Tennessee one yet. The problem with Tennessee is that there's such a wide spectrum of accents. There's there's two that I know.
0: theres one— I break it up like this. There's one that's just a normal Southern accent. Another one, that it's like certain words are inflicted and in certain... Basically, it just sounds very givy. It's like so Southern that it's feminine. And I, that one's more of like, I've heard it from people like in Chattanooga.
1: Okay. Not necessarily here, but more South.
0: Yeah. But again, that's how I describe it. It's so
1: Southern that it's feminine. Huh. I don't know if I'd run into that one that much. But there is a, there's a wide, there's Dyer. a wide spectrum here, does he? Yeah. I really haven't listened to him that much. I I listened to a, a little bit of some of his stuff. And as as you know, he challenged me to a debate and then ran away. Which is just funny. I, I love, and the thing is, to this day, his sycophants, his cultists, Still, when I say something against Eastern Eastern Orthodoxy, will appear manifest out of the woodwork, or I guess in their case, out of the sand. They will appear. No, they appear say, in like a
0: tornado of sand.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they say debate Jane Dyer, and it's like, I tried to. He blocked me and said he wouldn't debate me, and then he uses an excuse that I said we like we have to plan it, because that was his whole thing. He said, "Debate me." He wanted me to get on Discord, like that second debate. And like, I'm currently packing to move across the like country. two thousand miles, twenty five hundred miles, whatever it is. Like, I this does not work right now, and it just happened to be exactly when I was moving across the country. Yeah, and so I told him we had to plan it in advance. And I, you know, I said I want a moderator and a neutral platform. Because I don't want your discord where you're just going to mute me or do some other nonsense. And so he flipped out and blocked me. And that's not even the best part. The best part is that after he publicly flipped out and blocked me, he then, like, spanned DMs at me for an hour of just absurd nonsense. And I have all the screenshots for it because I saved all of them. And so I've I've posted that before. And so the Eastern Orthodox will, you know, look up, Here's some screenshots for you. It's your idol <laughs> acting like some sort of psychotic 13 year old girl in a America. Yeah.
0: That's sad. But I mean, the thing is, the dissident ride, I mean, I, he wouldn't really be considered in the dissident ride. I don't even know what he is. But it's not a sphere. that's wrong. Yeah. It's not a sphere that really produces cool, level headed, mature people. There's way more back. Some backbone. of us are. Some of us but not a lot. Yeah. Really, it's the ones that they'll be in chats where it's just Zoomers, and that's the worst that's because...
1: part of it. Zoomers want not to necessarily denigrate Zoomers, but Zoomers do want a little more of the theatrics and the bombastic and all of that nonsense. Which is why I keep saying that any leadership in the the far alt alternative whatever it is you want to call the right yeah. actual right will almost certainly be millennials pretty much because or gen X I don't think Gen X is going to do it. They're they're too old they there's that there's the generational gap between them and Zoomers and you have to you can only really connect outside of your own generation. Within you know what a, a standard deviation or two so to speak, and so millennials can kind of connect with Zoomers and can kind of connect with those that are one generation younger than Zoomers, whatever they're called, Generation Dumpster Fire, whatever they are. And millennials can also connect with Gen X. Yeah, Boomers, as I've said, kind of a lost cause, so why bother? But it kind of means Boomers. Eh, but millennials are just kind of in the position where. We can connect with the people with whom we have to connect to get something done. Yeah, and it helps that millennials, some of us, grew up in the culture when it wasn't completely vulnerable yet. There was still something left that was decent. My my high school wasn't that. Bad. There was a lot. There were a lot of drugs, but wealthy area. You're going to have certain drugs. It wasn't that bad. I had a decent, I had a pretty good childhood, you know, high school, all that. Undergrad, yeah, under yeah. universities were definitely just dense of iniquity and sin by yeah. the time I was at university, particularly the the larger universities. And I went, you know, I went to Michigan. It's got an enormous undergrad population, it's like 40 45,000 or something. Gosh. It's a huge school. And so. The school at, I went I, to only had like, like 15,000. And like I said, I lived. With some of the Michigan cheerleaders, so maybe I, I may have had a, an experience that was slightly more degenerate than. Yeah some
0: some of his stories they've been pretty. Uh, I guess I addressed it to the uh, whoever would actually be listening. Some of his stories about uh, Michigan definitely.
1: Yeah, well, it's any any big university in the past twenty years. You there's a lot of horrible things. And it's the reason that to to spin this into something that, you know, advice and tying it into things that are important. This is the reason we say, do not send your daughters to university. Mm-hmm. Some of us know what they do while they're there. Yep. Do not, do not send your daughters to university.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know girls who they Your been...
1: Sister go, do not let your, your cousin, anyone you get, any woman you can tell not to go to university. Everything you can to convince her not to go.
0: Yeah, not not even your elderly mother who's like, I wanna go back and learn how to do water paintings.
1: I mean, maybe if she's doing like, you know, distance <laughs> education or, you know, community college class, you know, okay, fine.
0: Yeah, I, I think
1: we should hold it. I don't firm. really care. I don't really care about that, you know. And the thing is that's not really a college class though. If if your mother who's, you know, retired and has a little bit of free time goes and takes a class on painting, is she really taking a college class? Yes. Not really. I don't, she isn't. She technically. She's taking, she's taking a painting class that happens to be at a college. But that, that's the if definition of a college class. It's not. No. If she's trying to work toward like a degree or something, probably discourage that. But if she just wants to take a painting class and that happens to be at the community college, I don't care. You know, have fun. That's fine. Yes, community college is a bit different. Oh, yeah. I mean, if she's enrolling in Harvard or something, you know. Okay, fine. That's we got some problems here. Don't do that. But no, man, like I said, I know girls who
0: like they go into college normal and they come out basically transsexual. And I mean, no, I, I know the, people they're
1: like, like they're it's right there and, and they slept with 45 men. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: awful. And that's that. that's literally going to be our future. You know, that's the, like what's happening to
1: the, Zoomers the, right the, the American evangelicals will you know, scream about that like Jesus forgives everything. Like, okay, these are two separate considerations. Will Jesus forgive the fact that you were a little slut undergrad? Yes. Will believing in the gospel, being a Christian, remove all of the temporal consequences of your behavior undergrad? Absolutely not. Your herpes is not going away because you believe in Jesus. That's not how that works. So uh if you if you actually love your daughters, your sisters, yeah, you don't need to college, get let them go to college, get herpes. Yeah, don't let them go to university because like that herpes is one of the, the like least terrible outcomes of what happens there. They may cut off their breasts, decide they're man. Yep. Which uh yeah, no, that's not how that works. Because uh your your DNA doesn't change when you resolve off your breasts. Still you just still, get less attractive. Have, it's like you still have two X chromosomes. And if you're a dude, you chop off your dick, and you still have a a Y chromosome. You just no longer have a dick. Yeah, not really an improvement in the state of affairs. No. Uh, <laughs> lovely positive note, but you know, the world is full of sins and generations, but. God is still true to his promises and the church still stands. So, yep. And the church is still triumphant. Join an actual church.
0: <laughs> join an actual church, but that church is probably going to be somewhat militant in preserving and promoting tradition, good, good, godly scriptural tradition.
1: And force your pastor to be a better man than the other. Life, yeah, yeah,
0: like you force uh, our pastor to chant. Like, man, you know, things would be a lot better if you
1: chanted. you do, know I that? Do, Yeah, I do I do pester about that. And he is, to his credit, bringing it back in two weeks, beginning with Admin. So. He is very good. He's good. It's good that he's not on social media. I'm, I'm yeah. sure at the very least it is good for his mental health and well-being. The thing is, it's like.
0: You probably have, like, okay, so we look at all these really dumb pastors on social media. My belief is, and I mean, I didn't come up with this. A lot of people have said it. Social media attracts the ones that are already bad.
1: Yes. So it's like, right. when, you, when you see it's awful, these, it gives them pants on the back when they say stupid stuff. Yeah. And so it encourages them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when you see, like, all these awful pastors on social media... I think there's, for everyone, there's probably a good two or three that are actually doing something positive. Yes. For every bad one, yeah.
1: There are, there are many, many good pastors who have nothing to do with Facebook and Twitter.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. They're, all, they're pretty good. How do you say it? I can't do it. <laughs> Ralph, yeah. Ralph. are Ralph <laughs> is to smoke. <laughs> we can't do the CH good.
1: Yeah, the CH, it's a, English is the front of the mouth, German is back in the, not quite at the throat, but back of the, in the top of the, throat. I've tried, I can't do it. That's not the hard one. You can, you can eventually get that one. The, the hard one is, German has a guttural rolled R. That if you're not a native speaker, you'll probably never get it right.
0: Well, I can't roll like anyway, like
1: other things <laughs> Even the Spanish one? The Spanish one, the drill is easy. That's the tip of the tongue. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. I've tried. That one's easy.
0: It just comes out like Ugh. That's not a roll art. See? <laughs> I told
1: you I couldn't. Despite living in Southern California, you do not actually know Spanish. Okay, I know enough to order food at a Mexican restaurant. Mexican food's not that good. A good Mexican restaurant can be quite good. Finding one here is not so easy. There's a good taco place. I don't
0: like tacos, though. I only like burritos and enchiladas. Street tacos
1: are good. Nice, Really, any kind of meat, but carne asada, <laughs> some kind of pork. You ever had
0: menudo this, but Menudo
1: I think once or twice, and I'd rather have a good street taco or something. Yeah. Some Mexican you, seafood is coming. Yes, okay.
0: There is one Mexican but, dish that I love. It's just Camarones we, Hawaiian,
1: but we are in uh, Tennessee, which is not the number one place in the world for seafood. You see, like me and really love the cheap stuff, like cheap sardines in a can and all that. <laughs> that is one the thing that definitely changed we here from the from the West Coast. The availability and the quality of seafood is different. Let's say,
0: you no, know, when you get it in a can, it's like you're getting it straight from the ocean.
1: As long as you like salt, a lot of salt.
0: No saying, black German, no sushi. Germans, no like least, spice their food. <laughs> hating, hating on salt.
1: I like spice. I actually I actually handle hot food pretty well. Mm-hmm. Which always weirds people. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you're white. Yeah, it's nothing. I'm getting spicy. And don't mind it here too
0: fast. A little left there. Penthouse. So when you were in Berlin, like, is that part of the country that's heavily Lutheran or the opposite? Um supposedly atheists.
1: Um, okay it's an Eastern Germany oh. sad well it's any, anywhere that was East Germany so you have more Christians in Berlin in what was West Berlin because Berlin was also divided yeah. Germany was partitioned and then Berlin was partitioned so West Berlin has more Christians than East Berlin because communism destroys Christianity. Right. Which is why you cannot be a Christian and communist. Tom. Yeah, speaking
0: of which, I actually got blocked by, uh, oh, granted, I didn't troll him because he's annoying, but Logo Deadless, whatever his name is, I think it's, yeah, like it was his handle Logo Deadlist. He blocked me recently, but his whole thing is like, he's like, okay, I'm going to promote Christian communism, but I'm also going to promote low church things by other than calling it dumb and stupid, which it is, I'm going to say it's avant-garde. And if this is not like the most despicable
1: mindset. Well, that, that pretty much fits, though. I want to be weird, degenerate, not Christian. Go <laughs> ahead and be a uh, low church. Office
0: exactly. No, it's horrible. <laughs> it's disgusting, but I don't know. See, that, that's the one thing. This is the the one concession that I will give to the Eastern Orthodox in the sense that I understand where they're coming from. Because, again, most of them, like me, were not necessarily raised Christian. They want something that's stable. Perhaps the Orthodox isn't as stable as they claim. It's
1: not. They are... But they don't have little groups that are fractious, but they pretend to be stable, and they present to the world as if they are unified and stable. Yeah. And people fall for it.
0: But, like, okay, so say you're not really privy to high church Protestantism, and you're faced with two options. You're faced with communist, low church hipster, or orthodox i would go orthodox i choose to shoot myself <laughs> yeah <laughs> speaking of which do you believe uh, suicide can actually be forgiven because the whole thing that yeah. was always it's, pounded it's into only, my it's head it's
1: sin 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 sin. Against the spirit.
0: yeah what was always pounded in my head that the reason suicide is always damnable is two reasons it's a roman catholic thing. yeah that's why so the one thing is like a you can't repent because yes. you're dead
1: it's exactly what it is. It's the, the papists believe it's mortal sin and that if you do not confess and receive absolution and you die in mortal sin, you're going to help them.
0: The other one that I've heard recently is that suicide is actually despair. always No, not despair. It's always well, it's somewhat... Despair, born, uh, is basically
1: how they conceptualize.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean, that, there's something to that. But what I was going to say is people believe suicide is basically the end result, most of the time, of demonic possession. And so if you're possessed by a demon and then you die, you probably were not a Christian and thus we'll go to hell.
1: Forgivable sin is the sin against the spirit, and that's not suicide. So the the answer is that, no, suicide is not unforgivable sin. In individual cases, whether or not someone is going to heaven or hell, that's forgotten. Yeah. But we can at least comfort people by saying that it is not an unforgivable yeah. sin. So if someone lost someone to suicide, it's not
0: like they're just de facto in hell.
1: No, oh, absolutely not. Luther has some good letters. He wrote the parishioners in the subject. <laughs>
0: you know, I remember, and I've never actually read about this incident, but I watched the, uh, I mean, because I've read a lot of like Lutheran books, but I watched... Uh, the two thousand three Luther biopic. And it started off with some parishioner killing himself as like Luther rolled into town to be like the new pastor. Is that actually historically accurate? You know what I'm talking about.
1: I don't know if that specific incident is, but he did write letters to parishioners who'd had family members commit suicide. So it could just be artistic license with that.
0: Oh, basically historical fiction speaking of which do you say that movie in 2003 I've actually watched any of the Luther movies oh yeah well nope. that one's pretty good thing is most people hate on it because Luther in it is a bit more angsty and not necessarily whiny but he's not just like super happy and the thing is like he wasn't super happy I mean not Let's super happy, super bombastic. Oh he's more reserved, but the thing he's is I'm say thinking... super happy, not German bombastic, it's a little more German. Really? So, yeah. I enjoy that aspect of it because he's not doing something like that he believes is gonna be like he's not like trolling the way we understand it. He's literally saying things that he's getting condemned for. And he takes that seriously and it actually yeah. depresses him. Like, if anyone's actually serious about what they're doing, they're going to take the, you know, the opposition seriously. Not that he's going to give in to the papal lies, but he's not just going to sit there and be obnoxious. Like, he's actually going to be like, hmm, the church is trying to, like, damn me. I know that I'm right, but I'm really sad that this has happened. And legitimately sad. Yes. Everyone kind of criticized that movie, saying like Luther's weak in it. And i was just like, um, it's more realistic. I don't, I don't care what you say.
1: My beer is almost gone.
0: Mine is gone. Yeah, you had two beers. You had a leader in that. So he out to
1: three, four, one and a half, if we're counting in the, the German fashion. That means I probably only had one. Yeah, yeah. one, yeah.
0: No, nah, it doesn't feel like it. I can usually the leaders usually hit way different and this didn't really hit at all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Clearly we need to have a a chat visit to Germany. That would be nuts. <laughs> Try to go during Oktoberfest. You don't reflect anyone from the gunners the, the next day. And now we totally need to go during Oktoberfest. <laughs> At least it's not as bad of a flight from here. The West Coast to uh, Europe is a bit of a slog. I can kind of see it though. It's like you go there during Oktoberfest, but like, now I'm also
0: going to go visit the historic Lutheran things. And then you wind up not doing it, just standing there drinking beer all day. It's like, yeah, that's actually probably a more authentic German visit.
1: You go for history and the museum to the beauty, and you have two liters with your meals every day. You have one with lunch and dinner. That would be. That was about what I did while I lived there, anyway, so...
0: Even while you were working as a lawyer
1: on your degree? You could have a leader with lunch and still go to school just fine.
0: I couldn't do it. I mean, like, I would only drink, like, I'd go quite a long time without drinking because... The professors would go with us to lunch and drink at lunch. That's, just,
1: that's normal in Germany. I guess
0: you could say it's harder if the work is harder for you because
1: you want to stay more clear-headed. I don't know that being clear-headed is advantageous to a okay, Okay. Although, to accountants, it. it would take more than a leader or not clear-headed to be a problem here. Be a factor. It's like a weird echo from this wall behind me since it's curved. Like the the noise from down below echoes up past that strange-sounding. Sounds like there's some kind of game going on down there Like where people are like yelling, like, oh, it's a football game. I hate football. I do as well. I guess don't tell anyone with whom I went to school since Michigan is a football school. My school wasn't, because we suck
0: and like no one cares about this.
1: Yeah, Michigan's pretty good. Or whatever that's worth, I guess.
0: I remember there was a time when uh, ETSU was going to play off against UT, and they actually did. And you would think that everyone would be like, oh yeah, this is going to happen, it's going to be so cool, man. Literally no one cared, <laughs> and we lost horribly. That's
1: that's sad.
0: <laughs> yeah, because again, you, you think there would be a little bit of tribalism, there wasn't at all. No one was on our
1: side from our school. Football is just an enormous waste of resources. It is. Plus, plus it's profitable. Enough. Plus, many, many other problems attendant to football teams on university campuses. It's like, let's get all these freaking, like,
0: very low IQ barbarians, yeah. make them, like, run into each other and then, you know. Yep. That's, that's literally how I look at it. Yeah, you
1: no, know, I, it's not, not my thing. Definitely
0: not. Plus I'm not able to like, my attention span not let me sit down and watch a football then.
1: My attention span'd be fine for it. I just I don't wanna watch football. I don't wanna watch football at all. I a little annoyed the TV's on here. But otherwise it's a decent little atmosphere up here. So. Yeah, now it's not so it's
0: definitely much better than downstairs, which downstairs is cool too. But it's like you come up here and it looks like you're actually in some kind of German lodge or something. What are the things on the wall, still again, that I freaking love? The Wolfpatik.
1: Wolfpatik. Wolfpatik. Wolfpatik.
0: Wolfpatik. Many other things are awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't care what anyone you know, says. I love the, the American version would time kind to of be the
0: jackalope. Yeah, jackalopes are cool. These are a lot scarier looking, though. Like when you look up the artwork for a jackalope, they're all happy and stuff. But then when you look up these, they have things and stuff. Yes, yeah,
1: they're looking nightmares more aggressive. But it, it fits with uh German fairy tales generally. And don't go into the forest, we yes. just get eaten. So yeah, it's kind of a good. Goes back to all
0: my obsession with like horror. It's Like, it's kind of in my DNA being German. Oh, dark, yeah. It's like the Germans He's afraid that Bigfoot's going to kidnap you if you go hiking. Bigfoot are like some kind of like <laughs> giant redneck dude.
1: Well, I mean, they, there's a possibility of the latter. I don't think they go hiking yeah. that much though.
0: Nah, they kind of <laughs> just like, stay around their distilleries. <laughs> Speaking of which, there should be okay. So, how do you pronounce the the German table talk? Tischle. Repeat that again. Tischle. There needs to be a Tischle from a moonshine distillery. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: boy. Uh-huh. I don't know that I I have a, the talent,
0: it's,
1: the talents the accuracy. <laughs> to eliminate the background noise or sure. at least to a satisfactory level from a moonshine distillery. they at least a at least if you're thinking about the
0: ones at Gatlinburg. The ones outside Gatlinburg. Yeah. Still technically in Gatlinburg, but not
1: downtown. Yeah that maybe that's possible, but you know if you're thinking uh what's the one right there in the middle? No smoking. Yeah, that one. Yeah no not that there's nowhere to sit there. There's no way I could move the noise from that one. Nah, just just the noise from people outside walking by that one would be too much. Mm. Yeah, that's
0: pretty pretty crowded down
1: there. Gatlinburg is a southern tourist trap. Yep, and I love it. It's, It's like Vegas with trees. Gatlinburg is the promised land. Are you allowed to drink on the sidewalk there? I don't know. I don't remember. Never tried it. Because I was thinking it's like it's like Vegas with trees, but Vegas you're allowed to just walk down the strip and drink it a fifth of vodka and mm-hmm. feel like it. What you see
0: on the streets of Vegas is just disgusting. I mean basically you'll be walking down. The streets to... of
1: Gatlinburg are also disgusting, but in a different right.
0: Yeah. Like in Gatlinburg, you're just gonna see like spilled ice cream cones and that type of thing. In Vegas, you're gonna see women walking around like handing you like wires for prostitution.
1: There is a lot more obesity in gotten That is true. I've, I've seen some things there in the summer that I did not want to see. Yeah, there's some definitely some chunky Southerners there. <laughs> because Baptists don't preach against obesity as a sin. In fairness, have you seen some of the Lutheran pastors? <laughs> I know. <laughs> kind of made fun of a little bit. There are some Lutheran pastors who would lose a little weight, too. Yeah. Honestly, there are a lot of pastors. At least
0: I could lose yeah. a little bit of weight. At least I'm not 300. I didn't have mm-hmm. any fat
1: pastors in California. I had a pastor who was formerly fat. <laughs> formerly fat. <laughs> he had gastric mm-hmm. bite. Well, his problem was he grew up in a farming community nice. in I think it was Wisconsin and so if you go from that lifestyle to southern california he didn't change his eating habits that doesn't work Come on, there you go from farming where you're eating who knows how many calories a day to something that's a little less demanding of a lifestyle so but no he had gastric bypass and took up mountain biking and he lost all the weight so he did good job <laughs> Some crazy person out there right now is going to find the former church. Nothing not that hard to find. Mm-hmm. Will, it's not that will, hard to find. I not say it because I want the crazy person to have to find it. But yeah, I've
0: seen pictures of it. It is very pretty.
1: Yeah. It's a beautiful church. Narrow it down for people a little more. Well, the thing is, if they're crazy listening to, they're
0: probably reformed or something, and so their their definition of beauty is going to be skewed.
1: Well, yes, the yes, of beauty is basically uh, a padded rooms or an insane person, in yeah. all white baby with a window. I mean, literally some of the churches and the reformals say are beautiful. I look like at like, yeah, I've seen that before. I worked in a metal ward. That's where I saw it. That's where we put people who tried to bite themselves. Yeah, some whales churches to bite them. Yeah, if if your church looks like someone in a straitjacket would be right at home there, maybe reconsider some things.
0: We don't have the money to make it look pretty. We can't buy a, a simple Jesus painting from the dollar store.
1: a decent crucifix or you know, anything.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really does need to be battled because we shouldn't have Lutheran churches that are ugly. It's that simple.
1: Correct. That's something Synod should be doing, but that is another topic entirely. Synod is a little bit of a (laughs) mess. well i think we've kind of come to the natural conclusion here
0: yeah after two beers
1: well one for me probably one point five for him yeah i think i think that's for no reason i don't you know we're we're two hours 14 minutes so i think uh we will just call this an end to uh this particular episode of the tishrae did